despite the fact that life prepared me and I have the skills that I can use to manage the city efficiently and effectively, I do love and care about our city. That's why I'm running. Not because I wish to make a difference, but because I can make a difference. I've been in so many different countries, so many different cities. This is the jewel of the country. Hi, everybody. My name is Mark Kondrat, and this is my podcast. I share stories from people who create, inspire, and lead. Coming up next is a surprisingly interesting and hopefully inspiring conversation. I hope you enjoy. All right, welcome to the Kondrat Podcast. Today, I am with Emil Gabriel, 2021 mayoral candidate for Calgary. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. That's awesome. Okay. So one of the things that you said in the notes that you'd given me was you're quote unquote Canadian by choice. So born in Giza, Egypt, the city of the Great Pyramids, if I'm not mistaken. What brought you to Canada? Why did you choose Canada when you say Canadian by choice? Oh, that's a good question. Yes. The reason I uh, came to Canada and actually the rest of my family, as you know, Egypt at one point was a great civilization. But in my generation, unfortunately, there was lots of problem, lots of corruption. The family decided that we are not really going to go along with the way things are going there. So we start looking for a new home. We traveled to Europe. We used to work there as a summer student. But there is no immigration in Europe. So we had uh, two choices now, the United States and Canada. And uh, since uh, we have seen lots of trouble and wars during my time in Egypt, we figured out that Canada would be the best choice since it's a very peaceful country. Right. So from an educational perspective, you got your civil engineering degree in Egypt. Is that right? In in the University of Alexandria, yes. Alexandria. And then when you moved to Canada, you have your PhD in project management specialization from the University of Calgary. Do I have that right? Oh, yes. Right on. So what attracted you... What attracted you to engineering? I talk to a lot of engineers through my podcast uh, because I deal with a lot of people in the beer industry. And for some reason, the beer industry attracts a lot of engineers. So for you as a, as a kid looking at you know, what you want to do with your life, what attracted you to engineering? I think you, uh, the way I can answer this, Mark, uh, your brain sometimes is wired in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recall when I was a kid and my father bring us some uh, gifts and toys. Mm-hmm. I had the tendency to take it apart and figure out how it works. And then I think I was fascinated with buildings like bridges, high rises. Uh, I was fascinated by the way it was built and constructed and designed. So... My father was an eye surgeon, and he passed away very young. I was the oldest, so the family expected me to uh, follow his uh, profession. And uh, when the time came, I uh, was very hesitant to go to faculty of medicine. I figured out I'm not really mentally prepared for that. After watching him uh, doing some operation in some people's eyes, and they are screaming, under the, yeah, like they just uh, were uh, under uh, the what he, he, the, uh, the patient was just hallucinating, I guess. Right. So I was uh, very young when he took me to the operation to prepare me to take over his practice because he, as a doctor, knew that his disease might cause him to die. And I was about 11 at that time. 
So this memory came back to me when the time came to enter university. And I said, no, I am not really cut out for uh, medical practice. So I went to uh, engineering. So when, when I read project management specialization, I feel like, and we'll get a little bit more into it in a bit here, but I feel like that's almost like a really good job description for a mayor. Because, <laughs> you know, you look at the city, and it certainly needs uh, some project management. So your current role, you're president of the Trinity 2000 Management Consulting Group. So in that role, what, like, what, what do you guys do? You know, there are two parts to answer your question. The first part, uh, Mark, a city like our city, city Calgary, mm -hmm. if the city was well established and the main infrastructure is in place, then any good person can be a mayor because it's going to be just a job of... Uh, cutting ribbons and uh, meeting with uh, people coming to visit, you know, and taking some. Yeah. The city is well-established. Anybody can right. be a mayor. But our right. city is not in that position. This is a growing city. We have major issues when it comes to infrastructure. We have a green line. We have a flood issue. And if the mayor have knowledge and experience in this area, then he or she can have a better vision for the city. He right. or she can sit down with the engineers, speak their language, understand their language, would not be intimidated by them, and that's the way you will have more efficient management. So then as, and then how do you apply that to, to what you do like currently in your, in your pre-mayoral role? My job as a consultant, basically, I work with leaders, the CEOs of companies. There is a tendency among CEOs, like in the last job I consulted with, and that was in oil and gas business. And the CEOs of the companies, they are senior people, got tons of experience. And when they meet to make decisions, there is always argument. And the reason is they all have experience. So you hear one person saying, well, the project should be done that way. I have 30 years knowledge of doing a project similar to this one. The other person argue, and they never can come to conclusion or achieve the optimum decision. So my job using advanced management model and computer program that uh, I was part of developing to help those people to reach maximum and optimum decision. The magic about this, the problem we're facing in managing people is issues like ego, pride, and things like that. So the program design to isolate those issues, we go through a certain process with those people, provide them with questions and uh, receive their answer. And then this computer program analyze this uh, feedback and provide you with amazing picture of what's going on. The best part of it is that program is capable of giving you set of priorities at that time that real-time analysis of what should be the priorities for this organization at this point in time. And that is program, a computer program. I used it many times with different companies, and I would like to use it in the city to manage the council because you hear people saying, well, I will help them to work together and I will get them to get along. <laughs> Those slogans doesn't work because their background behind it causes people to always disagree and argue. But by using that computer program, and based on my experience using it, I will believe that I can create an efficient council meeting and be able to reach 
uh, optimum decision for the benefits of Calgarian in a very short time. So one of the things that you said, and, and I think it's related, is when you're talking about the challenge with you know businesses uh, working with CEOs and stuff like that, you said businesses have been managed with more focus on technical systems rather than behavioral systems. So is that is that kind of what you're talking about? Like when you're saying, like, I guess how do how do you how do you combine using a technical system but understanding that you need to deal with people behaviorally? Does that make sense? Yeah, you see, that goes back to my personal experience. When my father passed away at the age of forty-two, and he left six kids and my mother, and Traditionally, I am the oldest, so I'm supposed to look after the family. So when we left the, the town that we used to live in and moved to Cairo to stay close to my uncle, in the train, my uncle said, I want to talk to you. And he took me to a room in the train privately. And he said, Emil, now you are the father of this family. So from that age, 11 and a half, I believe uh, I was that young. I learned to help my mother how to raise this family. And uh, there are five kids here. And as I mentioned to you, we came from a multiracial family. My father is Egyptian. And as you know, in Egypt, the British were there for a long time. So there was intermarriage between British and Egyptian. And when you have kids coming from intermarriage, they sometimes is very smart and difficult to deal with. So from that time, I start learning how to manage people. Now, even when I became an engineer, Mark, I realized that many companies that I consulted with, they focus more on the technical issue. Let's go and get this uh, sophisticated program, and uh, you're going to help us to solve our problem. It doesn't work. Many of them told me, we spent $10,000 to buy this program, and we shall win. Why? Because you have to start with people. You have to have a good understanding of people and how to work with them, how to manage them. And that's what I meant by this point, Mark. Even I'm an engineer, I pay a great deal of attention on people first. People always come first. Something else you said, you said, I feel that life has prepared me for this moment. I am prepared to lead the city towards regaining prosperity. Um, and that's something that you're really passionate about. When I think about people who want to lead, I, I, th- I thought it was interested to say that, you're, that when you said that your life prepared you for this moment, when you think of leadership, do you, see, do you feel that you've always been a leader or is it a skill that you've learned as you've kind of progressed through life or is it a little bit of both? I believe... As I mentioned to you earlier, that uh, when my uncle asked me to take the responsibility of being the father of this family, uh, things started to develop. And then, yes, you're right. Um, you feel like you, you got some skills now and you work on them to polish them off and uh, make them, you know, improve the, the quality of the skills. Mm-hmm. W- one of the things that I... I've been reading on and listening to some podcasts on is, is not that leaders are without fear, but that leaders learn how to overcome their fear. So I'm guessing (laughs) as an 11 year old and having that conversation with your uncle, that there was a lot of fear about your ability to do that. So do you feel that your ability to overcome that fear and to help your mom raise your family has given you confidence to, to be you know, a strong leader? Just not, not that you didn't feel the fear, but that you're able to overcome that fear. Actually, when he said that to me, I was more confused for a number of reasons. Uh, right. I've never seen death before. Like uh, the first experience with this with my father. Secondly, I didn't know at that age what exactly expected from me. But the culture and people around you start, you know, pushing you in the direction of understanding this new responsibility. Fear was not part of it, but uh, not understanding what is required. And then over the time, I realized I started uh, 
getting a position, a leadership position, like I was a captain of my uh, soccer team. I was also a leader in among groups, uh, conducting music uh, events. And uh, over the years, I kept uh, finding myself taking some leadership roles in different areas. So basically build up your ability to be a leader. My leadership style is quiet in general. It's mm-hmm. not uh, the type of giving people orders and expect them to obey. But it's a combination between understanding people and understanding your mission, understanding the problem. First of all, you need to understand the problem that you are faced with. And combine all of this with the technology and this computer programs and the tools that I have. This uh, mix of all these skills and technology uh, put you in a position that you can achieve your goal and uh, efficiently and effectively lead your uh, city or manage the project at hand. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you a few questions specifically about what your ideas would be as mayor. So one of the things you said was that you support a, two, a two-term limit. Why, why is that important to you? Oh, <laughs> that is not just important. I think that's the most important thing for me, uh, Mark. You see, in the world of politics, first of all, let's get some facts here and points uh, clear. I am not a politician. Never been, never will be. So in the world of politics, people sometimes speak and say, trust me. But (laughs) trust is not something you just ask people for. It's something you have to earn. So Mm -hmm. the term limits, two terms, is a brilliant idea in a sense. It's going to prove to the voters that this person is sincere. Why? If you commit yourself, and I have committed myself in writing when I ran in 2017, in writing I committed myself to two terms before anybody even talk about it. So if you commit yourself to two terms, not three or four, like some people speak about three and four. No, if you go three and four, you're establishing a career already. But if you commit yourself to two terms, the question becomes, after you finish your first or second term, what are you going to do to survive? If you don't have a plan to survive, that means you intend to make a career of this position. And a career politician is not really a bad word, but when somebody decided to make a career, then their focus will be on protecting that career, not the interest of people. That's what they do. They go behind closed doors, they decide their pension, they decide their salary and reasons why, because they decided to make a career out of it. That's their first concern. So why, why I care about uh, this uh, issue? Because you wanted to prove to the voters that you mean what you say. In addition, mm-hmm. in addition to provide another reason for the voters to trust you and believe what you say is you have to lead by example. The position of a mayor, again, is a position of service to the public. It's not a career. So therefore, mm-hmm. you're required to lead by example. And I am committed, secondly, to take a cut in my salary. People are suffering financially. People already lost their job. You need to lead by example in this area. So you prove to the public and the voters that you are not coming to make a career here of this position. Secondly, you are not after the money. And that is why I am going to be talking also to people running for councillor and ask them if they're willing to commit themselves in writing for a term limits. I did that in the last election, Mark, in 2017, and I got 11 people signed a pledge beside myself, committing themselves to term limits. And as I said, there was a talk about two, three terms and four terms. I don't believe uh, more than two is uh, reasonable because after 12 years or 16 years in politics, how are you going to tran- uh, make a transition to the real world? You know, mm-hmm. like you got to be realistic. 
So yeah. the term limits is one major point in my platform. So you talk about having short-term plans and long-term plans. So when you look at what you're doing, what, what would some of the short-term plans or goals be once you become mayor? Well, again, uh, I'll touch back on the question we uh, talked about earlier and the councillor, for example. To run the city effectively and to really represent the people needs and to be able to use this computer program I mentioned to you that help us to make efficient decisions, there is a changes I'm gonna make as a mayor. And of, of course, I will need a strong mandate from the people. Here is one change I'm gonna make. You have the councillors today sit on so many committees, some of them assigned to 14 committees. So how is it possible when you have a councillor spending that much time in these committees, have time to go to the communities and listen to people and understand what's going on in the communities. So I will reduce the number of the committees, boards that councillors set on them to a smaller number, not 13, smaller number. Why? So I, you can free their time to go and spend time with their communities providing people with information, educating them what's happening, having a discussion, having a debate. And this way, when they come back to the council, they come back with information and knowledge, allow us now to use my program to reach the ultimate decisions and find out our priorities at that time. You have people, I spoke to them in my life as an active uh, person in politics. Some people say, I don't need to listen to my communities. I know what they need. But if you are running in this, this attitude, and I will going to be the mayor, I encourage people to just get out of the race because that's not going to happen. You will spend more time with your communities. You will provide information. You will discuss with them issues. And you come with information to discuss at the city council. So that's another thing that I will do as a, it's an elaborate system what I'm talking about here, but experience comes handy here. I've done it before. So I right. know how to do it, how to pull it off. So when you look at, I guess, a longer term vision for the city, do you see, like, what would your long term goals and vision be for, for Calgary? See, for, for Calgary, one of the main important issues that we you hear about it almost every day is taxes. Now, taxes, in my opinion, when person or councillor or mayor consider taxes as their first raising taxes as their first solution. In my opinion, that demonstrates to me lack of experience, lack of vision, and I don't believe that the way the taxes have been raised over the many years, the way it was done, was not really needed to be done that way. So taxes is very important for many reasons. In the short term, we have to reduce taxes. And how is this gonna happen? by two actions, cutting waste, and looking at all these projects, you see, that's, I go back to my knowledge and experience here, that when I put on my engineering hats, I can look at any project, and I can understand the importance, I can speak to the engineers in the city, speak their language, and I wouldn't be intimidated by what they say, so, like other mayors, then they pass it on to the bureaucrat if they don't know how to, you know, speak back to them. And once they get it to the bureaucrat or even the interest group involved, then that's how the city is owned. So this is basically a tax issue. I have two, two plans here. The short term is reducing it by cutting waste and uh, putting a whole project that is not urgent. But in the long term, I wanted to 
build up our local economy. When I speak from the point of view as a business person, you hear the expression, one operation or uh, one man operation. Mm -hmm. I have this experience, Mark. I started a coffee shop, one person operation. Small business, right? Mm -hmm. But very soon I realized you cannot run it as one person. I need to say to go see a doctor. I need somebody to replace me. So I hired another person. Then in the same coffee shop, people came to me and said, do you cater? I said, oh, yeah, yes, we can cater. <laughs> I found out that I need to hire a third person. So you see that the point here, I'm going to be focused on the small business and medium-sized business to make the regulations in the city attractive for a business to start. One person start the business, at least they're going to hire two more people. So my mm -hmm. focus is short-term, reducing taxes by cutting waste and putting in hold unnecessary projects. Long-term, make the tax system and the regulation in the city simple and attractive, easy. So anybody who wants to start a small business or medium size, they will find it attractive for them to do it here in our city. So one of the things you said was the position of mayor is unique. It's more than just a history of sitting on committees, running a business or giving donations to charity. So obviously like all of those would, would help with people's experience, but what are the other qualities that you think are more important in a mayor than those things that you listed there? As I mentioned earlier, our city is a growing city. And there is lots to do, expansion of the city, green line, flood mitigation, so many issues like this. So the mayor at this point needs to have knowledge and experience in this area, to have a good vision based on knowledge. The more you know, the better vision you have for the city. Mm -hmm. That's the first part. The second part, life has taught me a very valuable virtue, which is humility. You have to come to this position, not because your business is not doing very well, so here is a nice, cozy career. You know, no, you have to come to this business with the attitude, yes, I am here to serve the people. I am not looking for the spotlights. I'm not looking for legacy. I believe in what I'm doing, and I'm going to pour my soul in it. I'm going to be working smart and hard. I would not be concerned about, uh, again, as I mentioned, the spotlights and the social, uh, uh, you know, showing up in events. I will delegate lots of things to other members. I would focus mainly on my first uh, couple of years on cleaning up a, a mess in the city and lay down the foundation for a proper management for the city, including, as I mentioned, the taxes. And uh, you have to realize also that there is a social dimension to the activities of our city. And that's, again, back to what I mentioned, that I understand people. And that would help me to take care of those two combined issues. The growing city and the infrastructure, also the needs of the people. You mentioned a unique skill of yours is to identify the root cause of the problem and provide an effective solution. So obviously a skill that you'd lean on as mayor. When you when you look at Calgary, is there like what are the underlying problems that we are the root of the problem, I guess, and and what are some of the solutions that like just when you're looking at it from an outsider looking in at this point? When you look at your skill of, of identifying root causes of problems and providing a, an effective solution, when you look at Calgary, what what are kind of some of the problems that you identify as as being kind of major problems? And one of the things that you you you, you mentioned and I, I wanted to kind of get you to elaborate on was something you called the the fifteen plus group. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Let me explain that. The fifteen plus. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, you, you got to have the skill and knowledge of identifying the problem. And the problem sometimes has a number of components, 
some components are more critical than others. The main problems, the main problem in our city is this 15 plus. What is this 15 number just make you think of? The 15 actually is the number of the council, the mayor and the 14 councillors. Okay. So people, and I will encourage people during this election, when you are meeting with councillors in forum and debates, don't worry much about who's going to clean the snow for you or the garbage issue. Focus mainly on the root cause of the problem. The root cause of our problem is those 15 people. If we did not elect an honest people, and in my opinion, committed to term limits, committing to take cut in their salary, committed to go to their communities and uh, spend more time there, you ask those three questions directly. Are you committed to term limits? Two terms. Are you willing to put this in writing? Are you committed, my friend, that you are running for a counselor to take a cut in your salary? How much are you willing to take? That's the question you need to ask. So if we succeeded to bring to the city hall 15 honest people, and honesty is different than perfection. We're not looking for perfection. Nobody's perfect. But we want sincere, honest people. If we succeeded to bring those 15 to the city hall, then we have a base to start with. We have a strong base. You can have a decent degree of trust in these people. And that's why, Mark, if you realize, I mentioned that my first uh, motion to the council will be term limits. Mm -hmm. Both term limits. Why? Because if some people of this councilor promised in this forum and debates that they commit themselves to term limits, when I put this motion on the floor, and people vote. Everybody will know how everybody voted. If the people who promised vote for term limits and voted yes when I put this motion on the table, then that gives you more reason to trust them. But what if they voted no? That means they lied. And now you know what to, how to deal with these people who lied to you. You see, right. it's an elaborate plan what I'm sharing here with you. Mm -hmm. So that now... Now, if we establish the space of honest people coming with the attitude of service, not to making a career, not for the money, not for the pension, then the issues that concern us, starting with the pandemic, the economic uh, downturn and how to deal with it, the tax reduction as a, uh, a new tax system, a smart tax system, those are three main issues, in my opinion, that the voters are concerned with them today. Mm -hmm. So basically, if I'm hearing it right, then what you're saying is if you start off with the base of everybody, the councillors and the mayor all agreeing that, okay, we're going to do a two-year limit, then you're basically starting with a foundation of trust and honesty. Is that right? Yes. And that trust is more sincere because there is a commitment mm -hmm. in writing. Mm -hmm. And there will be a joke if somebody commit themselves to run for two terms, and after two terms, they put their name on the ballot. The beauty of this idea, again, Mark, is you can run for two terms, and then you can take a break and go back to the real world and learn more about what's going on in the real world, and you can come back and run again if you wish. And I actually wish if the term was three years it used to be, Three years, is, uh, in my opinion, is ideal, but it's four years now. So mm -hmm. after eight years, take a break, go back to the real world, learn more about reality. And then if you want to run again, you can come back and run again if you have this kind of calling to serve your people for the rest of your life. Right. So I want to ask you a couple questions. You mentioned your mom a little bit earlier. Something that she said to you is, in every culture and in every country, that you will visit, you will find good things. Behold and hold to those things that are good. So you visited over 20 countries in your lifetime so far. What was it about, why was travel and experiencing other cultures such an important thing that your mom talked to you about? And why did she encourage you to travel? Yeah, there is roots for this story. <laughs> you see, when uh, my father was a, an eye surgeon, he was a specialized in certain operation, actually. That's the root of the story here. And 
We lived a really good life when he was alive. After he passed away, there was he didn't leave any money or anything. And because he was uh, young, 42, he did not even have a pension. Mm-hmm. But during his life, he had a number of clinics and he devoted one to the poor, the poor farmers, and he used to treat them freely. So anyway, after he passed away, we have nothing. We realized we have nothing. Uh, he didn't leave any money or anything. So the people that he used to help and the money he spent in the community helping project and things like that, they came together and wrote a letter to the president that was President Nasser at that time. And he said this man was good to the community and help people, but he doesn't have a pension for his family. The woman didn't work at that time in Egypt. So President Nasser ordered a partial pension for our family. Wow. But yeah, the pension was not, of course, uh, big enough to uh, for six people and my mother. So we start now learning. You see, that's another skill came by necessity. Learning how now to make money and support ourselves to, for example, get to university. My mother made major sacrifices for us. She was a very beautiful young lady at the age of 30 when my father passed away. Many people asked her for, to marry, and she said no. She refused. She said, who's going to take me with six kids? So she devoted her life to raise us and made lots of sacrifices for that. So now come to your point. When we traveled in Europe, why did, one of the reasons why did we travel, why our mother allowed us, encouraged us, because from Egypt, when I go work in Germany or in Switzerland, and I get paid by the currency, then when I come back to Egypt, I convert it. Egyptian money, it has more value. Mm-hmm. So this way, I was able to save money to take care of my needs and save money to emigrate to Canada. So the travel has so many benefits. I used to, I remember, I used to, uh, when I was standing waiting for a bus, to say in Germany, and uh, people waiting beside me, I start talking to them. What do you think of this? Why do you believe this way? Why your country was able after being divided to two and this big war to recover in 25 years. You know, I I learned from people. And uh, every time I went to work in Europe, I never rented a place. I always stayed with families for many reasons, to learn the culture, to learn the language. That another enhanced my experience of how to deal with different people. Because I lived with them and I came from a multi-racial family so uh, my experience here in Calgary, I have many friends from different backgrounds and we get along. And uh, that's another thing uh, that you can uh, help you as a mayor to run a city. When you look at Calgary then, taking your, your mom's advice, what are the good things that you see in our culture as a city? Well, let's uh, be honest. city of Calgary has great potential, a city with a great potential. But above all of this, it's a city with great people. Calgarians are very kind people, very smart people, and very welcoming people. And as I mentioned to you, I worked here, lived for more than 30 years. I met lots of friends. and. Beside the fact that life prepared me and I have the skills that I can use to manage the city efficiently and effectively, I do love and care about our city. That's why I'm running. Not because I wish to make a difference, but because I can make a difference. I've been in so many different countries, so many different cities. This is the jewel of the country, the beauty of the mountains, the kindness of the people, the most generous people in the country. When it comes to donation, Calgarian 
are on the top when, when it comes to raising donation for any issue. When somebody in trouble, the first people run to help our Tigerians. So you, you can't get you can't get anything better than that. I mean, uh, this is almost the idea here. I agree with that 100%. So you mentioned just one last thing about your mother, because you mentioned her as your mentor. She raised the six kids. But you also mentioned that something that you're most proud of in your life is that you helped your mom with raising your, your brothers and sisters. So how did that experience, like, obviously that affects you. It has to affect you. Uh, how, how has that experience helped you become a better leader? Part of the quality for me is to be selfless. That's very important. You are not in it for yourself. And it's a hard virtue to develop because we always, you know, uh, concerned about ourselves. But when you have a task ahead of you, you are now the head of this family. You need to take care of your uh, brother and uh, sister. And my mother cannot work, and I see her pain. Many times uh, I see the struggle in her face. Uh, sometimes you can have a food, you know, to feed the six kids. Uh, it, it just creates the, uh, the feeling inside you of humility, willing to give yourself for others. As I mentioned to you, my experience at this moment that I was fortunate enough to achieve many of my dreams. And my philosophy is simple. There is a time to receive and time to give. And I'm at this point. I'm satisfied with my life. I'm not looking for a political career. I'm not looking for money. Therefore, I feel energized and have what Calgary needs, and I'm willing to give. You must be reading my notes because that was going to be the next quote that I used, but that's awesome. So just a couple of random questions from outside of work. What, what do you do when you're not when you're not working and, you know, right now when you're not, you know, building towards your, uh, your platform to become mayor, what, what do you have ho- for hobbies? For hobbies, I play ping pong. I love ping pong, uh, swimming, mm-hmm. uh, biking, all of this that we can do within uh, our current situation with the pandemic. But uh, I'm involved in other volunteer works. I wrote extensively about the flood issue. And I participate with ideas. I uh, actually uh, took four years of my life. And, and that's, you see, uh, another point we didn't touch uh, on Mark. When people are going to listen to candidates for uh, mayor or councillor, one of the things help you to make a good choice is to look at the person's history of contribution and service in the community. If they have that history, then that gives you more assurance. So I was taken by the effect of the flood in our city. And uh, as an engineer here, I spent the last number of years studying different solutions for the flood. And I presented to politicians, to communities. And that takes uh, some of my time. And I do this voluntarily. As a consultant, when you write a report like this, you get paid. But I'm here showing the voters again that I made sacrifices for the city. The other thing I will be promoting, which related to our point, uh, I encourage Calgarians and the voters, and that's going to be on my website, to use what I call it the smart point system. So say I am now invited to a forum to listen to the person who's running in my world for a council. I have a sheet with me, and that's what I call it, the smart point system. I have 100 points to give everybody running for a council. So I would ask a question. Are you committed to term limits? If the person said yes, in my, uh, like uh, the point system that I develop here, if they said yes, I give that person 30 points. Question number two, there are five categories. Here is number two. 
but you accepted the, 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 uh, the reduction in your salary. Yes, I gave that person 20 points. All right, question number three. Have you done any community service? Can you tell us about it? Yes, 20 points here. Uh, point number four, do you have any skills that we can use in the council? Yes, you have, all right. Here is the 15 points. Last question, are you sponsored by any special interest group or influential people? Watch this, this is very important. If the person said, no, I'm on my own or I just collect a small donation, I give that person 15 points. The total here is 100. This way I'm gonna go to select the person who's gonna represent me intelligently, not emotionally or on small issues. So that's one thing that's going to be on my website, and I'm going to share it with the voters. The smart point system, how to select your mayor and your council. Smart point system. I like that. You, one of the things that you, you mentioned is that you, you enjoy inventing, which I thought was uh, because like you described yourself as a kid, so, that you enjoyed taking things apart and figuring out how they worked and I enjoyed taking things apart, but I could never figure out how they worked or I could never figure out how to put it back together. So when you invent, like give me an idea of, of, of what you do when you're when you're inventing. Like is there is there a specific thing that you have invented or yeah, you know, um <laughs> well uh, taking things apart and not able to put it back, I felt guilty after right. <laughs> so I start now trying to uh, resolve this issue. And the first thing I can recall, many, many years ago, I realized it's not a good idea for people to drive and use their cell phone and, and uh, talk, uh, uh, I mean, holding in their hands. So right. I developed uh, some mount, like a mount that you can mount your cell phone in the car, mm -hmm. design it, and then I start talking to companies. And I, that was many years ago. I was still new in Canada. Then I have this hurdle when it comes to patenting. I found that they wanted lots of money for that. I didn't have it. So I just registered as, you know, record that I am the one who came up with this idea. Another invention I work with and uh, that involves Canadian and uh, American companies is when the police try to chase a runaway car, there's always accidents. Mm -hmm. in the chase. So I came up with an idea. I allowed them to paralyze the car without hurting anybody. And I met with a number of professors here in the university and Americans that are interested in the idea. The last thing I've been working on is the mask. The mask that we wear for the mm -hmm. pandemic. I was uh, actually watching TV the other day and uh, Dr. Bauchi was uh, advising people to wear two or three masks. I said, that's not a good idea. So I work in a mask because he wanted to make sure that you are not getting air from sideways. So we have more masks to give you more protection. <laughs> so I work in a mask that doesn't have to be two, three on top of each other, but uh, achieve the same purpose. And right. uh, I maybe will uh, contact some local people who are interested in, in uh, producing, manufacturing, and uh, Marketing, I do not really ask for money. Uh, I just, if they give me any percentage, I'll be happy and I will use it actually to donate it to charity. That's one of the latest inventions that I've been working on. That's cool. With regards to ping pong, I just want you to know that I'm actually arguably one of the world's best ping pong players. So, wow. um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we ever were to play, I'm just saying, I'd probably beat you. Well, I, 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 I'm sure, sure we're going to invite you when they allow us to get back to this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, better practice because uh, I was kind of joking, but uh, I used to be good. I really want to thank you for taking the time to, to, to share your story. One of the things, the main reason why I wanted to do this, like talk to people who are, are running for mayors, I feel that sometimes when we get our sources of information about people, you know, it's from a quick soundbite on the news or whatever, and you don't really get a sense of who the person really is. So I wanted to to have the long form conversation so that 
you know, we could really talk about, you know, what you're all about in terms of what you want to do as mayor, but but kind of how you also got to those ideas as a person. So uh, thanks for taking the time uh, to to share your story with us. Before we go, is there any kind of final thoughts that you have? Anything that I might not have asked you that you'd like to talk about? Well, first, of course, I would like to thank you for your kind invitation. That was very uh, nice and generous from you to give me this opportunity. I don't know if you mind if I give people my uh, website if they need no. more information. <laughs> Not at all. What is it? Uh, so the website is uh, www.email, E-M-I-L-E, for the number four, calgarymayor.com. The final thought is you asked one of the questions about uh, other things that I like to do. Uh, I love food. And I, as I mentioned, too, I had a, um, a coffee shop. And one of my favorite food is the doner or shawarma, people call it. And mm-hmm. over the years working with shawarma, especially the chicken shawarma, I developed some secret recipes. And people like it because I get the feedback from the customers. I'm thinking also to maybe create a YouTube uh, demonstration uh, revealing one of those secrets, how to make a delicious chicken shawarma. Oh, nice. Yeah, I just introduced my my daughters to the shawarma, and my oldest was was somewhat blown away by it. So, yeah, when you get that on YouTube, let me know because she'll uh, they love cooking, they love baking, so they'd be they'd be all in, all over that. Of course. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. And uh, yeah, best of luck. I know what you're about to partake in is a lot of work. So <laughs> hopefully you're well rested and uh, ready to get out there. Thanks very much, Mark. All the best. Okay. Thank you very much. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Condrat Podcast. For more guest information and to subscribe to our newsletter, please visit com. To learn more about other projects we're working on, please visit albertabeerfestivals.com. Thanks to Alex with Astronomic Audio for making the podcast sound awesome. Thanks to Josh with Clark Studios for his beautiful work with our branding. And most of all, thank you to my guests for having these amazing conversations with me and all of the people that listen on a weekly basis. I hope you find some inspiration from these surprisingly interesting conversations. Have an awesome day.